ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello. Hello, Dan. All the way from, um, where am I? Liverpool in England, in the UK. Coming to you live from Liverpool. At the time of recording, it's quite early in the morning and you stayed up very late last night presenting the first semi-final, commentating on it, repping Australia and SBS with your mate Joel Creasy. How the frigger was it? Oh, my goodness. Well, as usual with Eurovision, it was drama filled. Um, from the minute the broadcast opened, uh, we found out that there was only one microphone working. And so Joel and I had to, because you're wearing those headsets, you know, those broadcast headsets that yeah. have the microphone on them like you're, you're a sports commentator because Eurovision is sport, of course, up high in the booths. <laughs> all the enthusiasm, you put all the work in and then all of a sudden we're getting some Spanish broadcast coming through our ears. I think there was some sort of uh, hack of some description that went through the entire broadcast. Everyone was experiencing something, but my microphone and my headphones were not working. So I had to do the first half of the broadcast, cop this, Sitting next to Joel, and poor Joel, I just had a cup of coffee before I started just to get me in the mood. So I've got coffee breath galore. We shared one of those tiny microphones that are connected on a headphone for the first half of the show. So all in all, things went really well, Dan, really well. (laughs) This is when I wish there were visuals. You guys just huddling up around the fire of the microphone. When you said you only had one microphone working, I'm thinking you're passing it back and forth. That is the worst microphone to have to share. No, no, he he was wearing a headset and I was just getting up so close to his face. So if I have COVID, he's got it now, put it that way. But we have shared a toothbrush before. So, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty open about those things. Yeah. You're several several years in, you've ripped off the seal of that friendship well and truly. It looked looked amazing though. Like the, obviously the staging is incredible, but we've already seen 10 countries go through the next semifinals happening, um, depending on when you're listening in hours or maybe the next day. But um, oh my god, what happened? What, 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 go- what is going on with Croatia? What? What? Why? Oh. What? <laughs> That's oh. so amazing. What do you mean? What is going on? How good are they? They're like- so good. <laughs> We're talking about the older gentlemen who are wearing the long jackets and occasionally showing off their undies. Mm-hmm. They are the funniest. I'm. Don't understand a word that they're singing, and I, I, I genuinely believe that's the point. But they—they've been around for nearly forty years. They are provocateurs, punk provocateurs, and it's almost like it's your dad up there trying out a little bit of fart and a little bit of, um, you know, stir the pot politically, and uh, no idea what any of it means. They talked about teleporting and transporting while they were on stage there's all sorts of things going on it's a song about tractors and missiles um and given the the current climate with what's going on in europe i'm sure it makes sense to someone but just the fact that they got through this year the audience is voting in semi-final one and semi-final two they've gotten rid of the musical experts like you and me yeah get because i think what's happened is people like you and me who really you know like music and, and enjoy good music 
we're the ones that have been voting out the stuff that maybe would normally get through Eurovision, which is the fun stuff and the bonkers stuff. So they bring you a little bit of that back, and I kind of love it, to be honest. No, that's the cornerstone of Eurovision. Things that are completely confusing are absolutely the cornerstone of Eurovision. (laughs) Yeah, and these guys are basically known for being kicked off television for not just obscene language but for blowing corks out their bums, um, (laughs) having having doves emerge from their underpants, uh, all sorts of beautiful stage props and techniques that I am hoping if they, when they get through is uh, they might bring it out for Eurovision for the grand final. Who knows? Anything could happen. You've but got yeah, to elevate. It, it's like your grandpa's having a great time out there and <laughs> that's Eurovision to me. That is Eurovision. Can I also shout out one of my other favourites, Finland, who I reckon has the catchiest song I've seen so far, Cha Cha Cha, and his incredible neon green bolero and then Mm. the bit at the like about three quarters of the way through where his dancers just form a human centipede which he joins on me yeah yeah they're really it's look it's really beautifully thought out choreography you know like sensitive emotional it connects all the dancers are wearing those false teeth so they look particularly demented they're all smiling and that jacket, which he's wearing, is lime green, could possibly pass after this as something you could use if you're doing that stop and go on the road, you know, <laughs> doing any kind of road construction. So it's got, it's 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 got double levels of practicality there, and um, you know, it's great and a lot of padding too. Um, not particularly warm around the midriff area because there is no there is no midriff area really, it's bare skin. But you know, pop that one on over the shoulders and. It is fashion and I'm into it. Although he did apparently lose it off the back of his car or out the back door of his car, but somebody found it and recognised it was him and gave it back. I don't know what I'd think if I saw a shirt, if I saw a jacket like that. I think it would be probably straight in the bin if I found that, but no, he got it back. There's always a drama at Eurovision. Everything makes it in the end. What else have you heard and seen? Have you got any other backstage Eurovision goss for us? Oh, backstage Eurovision gossip. It's very organised this year. I'm really surprised. Like BBC do an incredible live production, I have to mm. say. Broadcast was cut back. Other years they do the counting and it goes forever and you get seven songs from a local artist that you've never heard of and you'll never hear from them again, just filling in. And this year, done. It's like one, two, three songs. We've got the results. Hannah Waddington. Oh, yeah. Is- she is, oh, oh, my goodness, I want her to host every Eurovision. She is giving Petra and Mons, who are legendary Eurovision hosts, a bit of a run for their money, I think. Mm. She's just wonderfully statuesque in that you want to watch her. The way she speaks, she commands presence. She can sing, as we noticed last night in semi-final one. She is an absolute queen. And uh, I'm just so impressed, you know, how do you go from... Being an actor, obviously, in Ted Lasso and various other things to hosting Eurovision but with a sense of confidence that I haven't seen on a host in a long time. There's no awkwardness. There's no... Mm. Sometimes it's like, oh, God, this is the the, the piece personalities, their connection is electric. Not. And this time she's just nailing it, absolutely nailing it, and she's so watchable. So, so that's been a real highlight. Um, but as usual... Everyone just wandering around backstage, 
you know, you sit, you think they're huge stars, but you're actually just sitting next to the guy from Croatia having a tuna and egg sandwich, and that <laughs> happens today. Like it's still pretty basic. It's it's very basic. No airs and graces at Eurovision. Just sharing microphones with coffee breath. Hopefully, you get to share some air with Hannah before the uh, the weekend's out as well. I really feel like this. There's, there's got to be a kick ons party with you, Hannah, and Joel. And I will be watching your Instagram stories keenly this weekend to see exactly what goes down when um when the mics are put down. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think we're going on the BBC broadcast too. They're coming up to our booth to say hello. Oh, so how good! Nice. Nice to be acknowledged. It either means it's our last year in Eurovision because our five-year contract is is up this year. So whether or not we'll be we'll keep going, who knows? Maybe they're giving us, you know, a bit of special compensation. But I don't know. I think Australia loves it so much and we've really got on board. The viewers are up watching so early and they'll watch the repeats at night. So fingers crossed it'll keep happening because really it's just such a wonderful thing to be a part of and such a magical time for any city that puts it on. Yeah, it's brilliant. And you're the perfect woman for the job. I'm so excited for the next few days for you. 5am is when the next semi-final takes place. That is the one that Australia is going to be part of with Voyager repping this year. Um, 5am Australian Eastern Standard Time on Friday morning. And then, of course, this weekend, the big finale. But, yeah, SBS has got it in prime time. And I cannot wait to see what you're wearing on the final as well. I don't even know. I didn't ask you. Have you got any clues for us of what fashion you'll be wearing? Oh, the fashion's good, actually. Very, very bright and colourful for semi-final two for when Voyager on. I figured they've, they've got a bit of an 80s vibe. I figured I, I should go with some sort of a hint of 80s, a lot of shoulder pads. Yes. A bit of light fluorescent colours. Some Aussie ostrich-style feathering is going on. <laughs> uh, Aussie ostrich on crack, I think, is how I liken my skirt. Um, but other than that, you know, that's that's pretty normal, really, for Eurovision. Like you can you can wear what you want, and you won't stand out because everybody else is. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. Your outfit last year for the finale was amazing. More color, plenty of puff. Your vibe, eighties. Very excited about that. Was there yeah. much of a vibe? in Liverpool following the coronation? Because you kind of came in right as the, that was all happening, right? Because it happened over the weekend in London. But what was the vibe in Liverpool? This is really interesting. In London, it was everywhere. Everyone was taking it very seriously. People lining up on the streets, doing all of those things, making sure they've got their spots to, to wave at the Queen as they go past in that insanely ridiculous gold carriage. You, you obviously saw that, didn't you, that's worth mm-hmm. $30 billion or something. Um, it was a very big vibe in London. Around 1 o'clock I caught the train to to, to Liverpool. So mm. when I got here, the difference was stark. No one in Liverpool really cared at all. There's there's no bunting around. There's no, there's no British flags around. There was a football match on. And as far as I could tell, that was far more important than the coronation. So... You know how the vibe's changing in Australia and changing quite rapidly and quite strongly, and I think that that display of excessive wealth, uh, I mean, of course the pageantry is wonderful, which we love watching that and and the ridiculous rules and the costumes are beautiful and all of that, but I think at the moment as the country here is struggling, the cost of living is rising, I think people are turning. And that was just my general vibe, and especially in a place like Liverpool where they are not royalists because that is a traditionally working-class area. Mm. Uh, I genuinely think 
it's on its last legs. It has to be. Um, and I think more and more people are becoming aware of the links to colonialism, the links to slavery, especially in a place here like Liverpool where the slaves were essentially transported here um, and the cotton that they picked was sent here. It's, it's part of this city's history. It's part of the narrative. People aren't proud of it. Um, there is a reckoning coming and, and that is what I feel, a reckoning in the same way that Australia is having a reckoning and I, I am all for it, as you know. Um, I think it'll take a lot longer here, but I do think in Australia, while it's enjoyable to watch the pageantry and, the, you know, all the glitz and the glamour and it just, it feels wrong. To me, it feels wrong in this in this time where people really really are struggling and you can sense that struggle it's out on the streets there's homeless people everywhere it's 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 quite shocking really um and i think they they're clutching at straws essentially or clutching at lots of really gold heavily yeah. laden diamond shit i mean that was the weird thing wasn't it i just found it i did watch it on saturday night it was kind of in prime time weather was poor I went over to my mate's house and we just sort of watched it and went, what is happening? It's really weird yeah. to, you know, it went for ages, of course, but, and this was supposed to be a scaled back affair. And you can see why they would want to, because they would have some self-awareness that this is a bit on the nose in this massive cost of living crisis, that you've got the new king um, touching all the things that they likely stole from various colonies around the world and just mm. just touching them, almost like anointing them. That part was strange, you know, like just touching a lot of expensive shit, weird. Yeah. But, yeah, I just don't think that that would have helped, that whole ceremony would have helped the monarchists' cause in Australia because, it, again, as you say, just feels very out of touch and strange. There were some things, though, that I wanted to shout out because having watched it, I did get some joy out of a few moments. Penny Mordaunt, I think that's how you say it, holding a giant sword weighing 3.6 kilograms, standing upright, for 56 minutes with that sword <laughs> and she was in every shot because she was right there in front of the king or to the side of the king. Now, I didn't know who she was. I saw, actually, I follow Ed Simons from the Chemical Brothers and as she came up with the giant sword, he just tweeted, Penny Mordaunt, so extra. <laughs> and it was <laughs> very extra holding this massive sword. But she was, the, the kicker of this is that she was actually given this role of the Lord President of the Privy Council, and all this shit sounds like Harry Potter to me. Lord President, it's all, of, it's all meaningless and made up. That's it's what all makes made me up. up. It's just made up. It's rules that have just been made up by a bunch of men who decided this is what we have to do, and if you don't obey them, you are wrong. And I just think about that sometimes. I'm like, what is this? Is just it's all made up. It it's magical. Matter. It's a magical, strange world. But she was given this role by Liz Truss, who basically wanted to get her out of the way. She's like, oh, I just want to get her out of the leadership race. So she's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just give you this role. And then she ends up being in one of the most watched for the colonies and for, well, maybe not all the colonies. Um, certainly in Australia, it rated its ass off. But for, for many people around the world, all of a sudden she's got this starring role in this thing that hasn't happened in 70 years, um, just wielding a sword for an hour. And apparently, because the whole time I was watching it with my friend Sooner and and we're just like, it must be so heavy. Didn't realize it was almost four kilos at the time. She'd been working out in preparation for the role. She'd been working out in the months beforehand and she held it solid. Like she was really oh. steadfast with it, um, but she'd been I'm preparing scared. for it for months. 
props to her then for holding a stick, holding a very important stick. Speaking of sticks, the memes were filling me with joy. Did you see the meme? I mean, the the ring on the ring holder and the way that it was. Oh, the erect ring. And King, King Charles just touching it. I just saw so many good memes. I think one was like um, different to third base on any date I've been on. It's just like. Totally. So many good ones. So many good ones. And I think it really did show the ridiculousness of it all, which which is is for our enjoyment. But I genuinely think this is a time for us to start to decide, do we really want this as our our head of state, to be honest? I mean, they could have sold off one of those crowns. And it could be just that I'm getting older, but they could have sold off that crown worth 30-something billion and given it, you know, sold it to a museum or something, which is going to keep it for prosperity, but that could feed a lot of people, you know. I, I just feel, I just, I feel more, even seeing that, it didn't it didn't make me think, oh, that's cute, I want more of that. It made me go, oh, that's really out of touch now, really well, the time, Well, the time is now, isn't it? It still seems as well that even Charles was kind of not into it either. The lip readers were out in full force. Uh, what did he say? Wasn't it? This boring. Yeah, he said, I'm so bored. <laughs> That's what the lip reader said. He said in the carriage when I don't know if it was at the start or the end, maybe the start where he had to like wait for a while and he was just, you know, when he gets his cranky face on. I'm so bored. Like you Mate, know, he's waited like, 75 years. He's waited 75 years for this. Crack a smile, buddy. Crack a smile. Not hard. Well, that lip reading read to a really great article that Zoe Williams in The Guardian wrote that you and I both loved in the last few days, titled Nepo Babies Have Never Been Bigger. So why are the Windsors and the Roys so unhappy? The Roys being the Roys of succession fame. And it kind Mm. of charted this great kind of parallel about how these super rich people just seem constantly sad, as you've said before, wandering around these amazing houses with all this incredible furniture, yachts, holidays, and just not caring about their surrounds, just constantly sad. And her answer is that in both of them, they're lacking the element of surprise, that Charles's ascension to the throne was the slowest punchline in history, the day of <laughs> destiny. <laughs> it's true, though. Day of destiny, said headlines across the world. But if the concept of destiny had ever meant a spectacle so predictable, so drawn out, so utterly unspectacular, it would have never made a footnote in the annals of literature. She goes on to talk about Prince Harry and Shiv saying personally has nothing against them, but I'm awestruck by their ability to remain outraged by a situation that has been in place since they were born. They were never going to get the top job yet to read Harry's spare or see the fathomless disappointment play across Shiv's eyebrows. You'd think it was delivered to them as fresh news every morning. It's such a funny piece. I love this piece. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, in, in a rare moment of stating the bleeding obvious, recent episodes of Succession walk the viewer through the truism that too much money is bad for the soul, duh, but only inherited it. It's worse. You cannot imagine life without it. You cannot believe in it as a reward for your personal qualities. Not really. All you can do is fret about losing it and resent those who have more. I still don't feel sorry for them, though. Oh, God, no. And I... <laughs> I still hate watch Succession. You wouldn't have seen the latest episode of Succession yet, would you? No, no. I've got about three episodes to catch up on now. After oh, the, yeah. After the, I've let it sit. So I've got I've got quite a bit and I can't catch up on the plane because obviously 
this season is not up on the the schedule as yet. So I might do it when I've got a bit of downtime, perhaps, which yeah. will never happen. <laughs> I saw I saw a great post just as a side bang from Reductress this week, uh, which is women's lives are constantly telling themselves it'll get easier after this week. It'll be less busy after this week. And I was like, uh, oh, shit, I'm feeling very seen. It'll, it'll calm down after this week. I've been saying that for yeah. 20 years. I know. Oh, we'll catch up. We'll catch up when this is all over. Yeah. <laughs> never do. Just accept, accept the reality. Well, the latest succession, yeah. which as always, don't worry, Bang Fam, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but let's just say latest succession, file that episode under things that you can't unsay. It was a, um, I was frozen watching a particular scene in that, but you will get to that. Oh, wow. Now, oh, wow. Yeah, amazing. Once again, an amazing episode. Burn it all down, I say. Um, We were off last week because you were in transit heading along to wonderful Liverpool where you are now but yep. some something happened that um I just don't want it to go by we need to discuss it I'm not talking about the Met Gala before you do talk about the Met Gala I just want to talk about my personal highlight of the Met Gala okay the little cocky the little cockroach that made its way down the stairs and some idiot reporter going who are you wearing Oh, I loved it so much because you remember the, um, the, the the coffin spider at the Queen's wedding in a similar vein, you know. These are the, these are the true kings and queens of our ceremonies. Little punks. Not knowing where they are, <laughs> living their best lives and realising they are at some of the most significant events in history and they will now be forever documented. So, so the Met Gala cocky, all praise to you. That's all the fashion you're going to get. What are you wearing? Yeah. A, a slimy shell that you'll soon yeah. crush. That's what I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to let this pass, though, because it's absolutely in our wheelhouse. Um, did you hear, quite literally, about the woman who orgasmed loudly at a classical concert at the LA Philharmonic in Los Angeles? No. <laughs> Was she on her own or was this a, she helped by somebody? No, she wasn't helped. She was moved. She was literally moved. This is what happened in the middle of Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony and you can hear it. I'll I'll play it for you in just a moment just so you can experience this because it's it's quite phenomenal. I, I celebrate it and it seems like everyone around her did as well. Molly Grant, who did speak to the Los Angeles Times about this the next day, said, Everyone kind of turned around to see what was happening, Molly Grant says, who was sitting near the overjoyed woman. That's how they've uh, described her, an overjoyed woman. I saw the girl after it happened and I assumed that she had an orgasm because she was heavily breathing and her partner was smiling and looking at her like in an effort not to shame her. It was quite (gasps) beautiful, she says. British composer Magnus Fiennes, yes, brother of the actor Ray Fiennes, was also in attendance, and he tweeted, and I quote, a woman in the audience had a loud and full-body orgasm during the fifth second movement. Band politely carried on. Oh, my God. Gosh, I th- thought this stuff only happened in sex clubs, like, you know, going to the, the what is it, the Bergen or in Bergheim. Germany where, <laughs> where it's very hard to get in and all sorts of business goes on in there, but No. The this is the power stuff. of music. Okay, you got to listen to it. This is what happened. It's short, it's sweet, it's full body. This is what it sounded like. 
It's guttural, isn't it? I love it. It's a guttural orgasm. And she just let it go. That is true freedom. Are you sure it's an orgasm? That could just be, you know, me not feeling well. I mean, there's been times I've had a hangover and I might have vomited and made that. (laughs) (laughs) Get me some chips, chicken salt. I'm only going, I'm only going from various sources, including the New York Post and the LA Times, um, that the people around her said that she looked quite satisfied. Um, and everyone was very respectful though. It was very much a sex positive environment as she climaxed um during the second uh, section of Tchaikovsky's fifth. But I love this because, well, it's we feel this way. I mean, some of us are lucky to feel it in a really big way like she did, but music is very powerful and she's had an expression of that and it's being celebrated. If that had happened, I mean, everyone was talking about it, but when I read all the articles, they were really sex positive. It was a really beautiful celebration of a a naturally occurring event. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I don't know if I'd want to be sitting next to her though. I don't know how I'd react. I'd be like, oh, um, are you okay, Tom? Are you okay? <laughs> like a hundred times worse than uh, sitting next to someone and they're watching a really sexy movie and in-flight entertainment and you're just kind of like. <laughs> oh, don't. Now that's not okay. I'd rather an orgasm in all than that. The other thing that happened while we are off was that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced their inductees for the year. Um, Bang Fan might remember that we spoke about this recently because Courtney Love wrote that brilliant op-ed about the the gatekeepers the old male style gatekeepers um of the the hall of fame and just about how sort of messed up it was as we've seen the hall of fame is trying to rectify that they've broadened out the genres they're clearly trying to induct more women um more diverse people in general and a heap of the nominations were already out there and now we know who are going to be inducted later this year so in november the likes of willie nelson kate bush Rage Against the Machine, Missy Elliott, Cheryl Crow, yeah, George Michael and the Spinners are going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And Rage Against the Machine have been nominated five times. This is the first time they're getting through to the induction thing, but they've been nominated five times. Kate Bush has been nominated four times. Missy Elliott, though, I love this. I knew that she'd made history as the first female rapper to be inducted but this is her first year of eligibility. So if you don't know, you're eligible 25 years after your first release. So the first year that she was eligible, much like Nirvana were a couple of years ago, the first year she was eligible, she's gotten into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. And then and right. then you've got Willie Nelson, who's just turned 90 last weekend. Something, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all power to Willie. Smoked more pot than anyone I've ever heard of, and he's still alive. What does that say? says a lot doesn't it it says a lot and maybe he was lot being relaxed <laughs> oh he's relaxed did I ever tell you about the time that I it was the very first time I went to New York and it was 1999 and I had managed to hustle tickets to the late show with David Letterman and the musical guests were Chris Christopherson Willie Nelson and Lyle Lovett doing an all-star tribute to Johnny Cash so it's an amazing array of guests. Anyway, so we get there and it's filmed at like 5.30 in the afternoon. It goes on late, but it's filmed a few hours earlier in the day. 
And as I'm walking up towards the Ed Sullivan Theatre where the entrance is, there's like an alleyway just to the side, like a little side street. And Willie's bus is there and it's a massive, like, one of those big RVs. It's like a full bus, you know, tour bus that he'd basically live on. He could live on for months, if not years. And he'd done his own or someone else had done, you know, painting um, on the back of the bus. And it was just one of those cheesy sort of like paintings that you could paint on the back of a car and it was just Willie a horizon and him smoking the fattest doob ever and that was emblazoned on the back (laughs) of his bus Um, just that energy I love that energy inside it would just be (laughs) just a smoke bomb in there be beautiful absolutely beautiful giving you relevance to the term contact high totally totally you sort of think, okay, why wasn't Willie Nelson inducted um, for so long? It just turned 90. Well, maybe that's because Dolly Parton was inducted last year, tra- traditionally considered country, but now part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And she's done a rock album now. Well, she said at the time, this is actually what she said on stage at the when she was inducted on the night, November last year. This is what she said on stage as she was about to perform. I figure if I'm going to be in the rock and roll... Hall of Fame. I'm going to have to earn it. And she's come good on promising that she, if she's going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, she's putting out a rock album. In the last day, she has announced her very first rock album and it's titled Rockstar. I've seen the art. It's amazing. It's all, it's a lot of leopard. It's a lot of gold. It look, it's a lot of all aboard the love, love bus. You know the love bus, what was it called, Rock of Love love bus, when Motley Crue oh my had God. a few ladies come and join them on the bus. That I'm getting those kind of vibes. So, Oh, it's absolutely serving Sunset Strip in 1986 in the best of ways. It's incredible. Can't wait to watch. We'll watch. Whatever comes out of this, watch and listen. Have you heard any of the music? The first single is dropping, like, Depending on when you're listening, it could be out now. So it was it was announced and then within the next day, as in Thursday the 11th of May, the first single, which will be an original, yep. is going to be dropping. But there's 30 songs on this Rockstar record and heaps of guests. A lot of them are covers and a lot of them are covers featuring the people that originally wrote the song, like Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr um, doing Let It Be. Sting collabs with her on a new version of Every Breath You Take. Miley Cyrus does a new version of Wrecking Ball, her goddaughter, of course. She covers, as in Dolly, covers Purple Rain. And here's what I'm most excited about. She's recruiting Lizzo to cover Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. out! With flute. That is amazing. I will buy the album for that. That is extraordinary. I've already checked out the merch. It's incredible. There's also another great album cover because you know there's going to be vinyl and as well as that amazing album cover of her sitting in the car with her hand on the fuzzy leopard print steering wheel cover um, in her leathers, there's another close-up of her face and um, it's just just got this leather star eye patch on. What's that? so good. What is that about? Maybe she's got conjunctive artists or something on the photo. Finish. We've all had a bit of stink eye every now and then. She looks good for it. Imagine, can't wait. Imagine on the day it's like, oh, just I need an eye patch, and someone just fashions gets their 
their their leather their leather kit out and fashions a little yeah. star eye patch it's from a bit Dolly. Like what we used to do in leather work at school, chuck a couple of beads and bedazzles on it. Oh my god, leather work. That's what I was trying to remember. My mum was into leather work. She had a whole kit. She'd flop it out with her little clamps and do a hole punch things and make things. We need and a hobby. we'd create we need you know, little hobby. bags. Let's get into leather work. I feel like all the crafts that we talk about are so 70s and 80s myths. They're just like shit that no one does anymore. Does anyone do leather work anymore? Come on, bang fam, they will. Send us an email. <laughs> know it. You know it. You know what to do. Emails in the show yeah. notes. Um, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks because you and I are going to be high-fiving each other across the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm heading to London this weekend. And this time next week, I'll be in London filming two episodes of take five for tv which is exciting and you'll be heading back to australia so we'll see each other in the flesh for the first time in months and months in a couple couple of weeks on may i'll be back in melbourne which is very exciting so what i get to touch you i get to touch you that sounds inappropriate but i can't wait um in a loving way so what are you going to bang on about while we go off on our little uh Little, what what would we call our little experiences? <laughs> little experiences. All the adventures. I do have a lot of stuff saved onto my iPad because I don't trust in-flight entertainment systems. Um, so I've got a lot of stuff, including Beef, which you banged on about a few weeks ago, and The Diplomat, which I want to get around to watching it. But I'm actually banging on about a show that I've been loving over the last few weeks called Lucky Hank on Stan. This is the new series starring Bob Odenkirk, who many people would know as the star of Better Call Saul and, of course, Breaking yep. Bad. He's been a comedian for years and years. Um, love Bob Odenkirk. And this is based on a novel that was put out many years ago, I think in the late 90s, called The Straight Man. But um, Lucky Hank is basically a university English department chairman at a really badly funded college in Pennsylvania um, who's having a midlife crisis. And I guess it follows that trend of what was the Sandra O the chair remember there was the series called the chair that was about university as well I'm not I'm sometimes like when I watch those I'm like oh do I really care about watching a whole bunch of middle-class people at universities talk about shit but this is this is one of those shows and it's really good and it's just getting better and better because the the characters are great. The acting's fantastic. I love Bob Odenkirk, but it also really unfolds. Like there's a lot of depth to it and things are kind of unfolding, almost unraveling. Um, Bob Odenkirk's kind of an anarchist, a bit of a grump and fucks with the system yeah. a little bit. And it's really compelling. So if you've seen it pop up on Stan, it's getting really good reviews. I was sort of like, oh, he's kind of a bit of a curmudgeon, but also I'm enjoying it more and more. And it's a great series. So Lucky Hank on Stan is what I've been vibing on a for the moment. What are you banging on about? Colin from Accounts, which we've talked about a couple of times here on the podcast, is, is getting primetime screening on BBC One while I'm here. It's huge. Oh, that's so good. I love that series. After yeah, you banged on like, about wow, it. Wow, that's awesome for them. That's huge. Fantastic. Just thought, yeah. Just thought I'd let you know. But um, in a very finger on the pulse bang on that I'm doing this week, finger on the pulse. Oh, here we go. Guess what I managed to catch up with on the plane that I never saw in the cinemas and film. Pray tell. Elvis. <laughs> yes, perfect plane movie. 
I've watched 45 minutes on one plane trip and I'm waiting for the next one to watch the other two. Yeah, and a half hours. Elvis. And look, I might have fallen asleep in bits of it because that's what you do in a long haul. But it's, you know, it's one of those films that you can do. It looks great. It's got the songs. It brushes over a lot of the problematic elements of, of Elvis and the fact that, you know, he was a 20 year old, 20 something year old man. He falls in love with a 14 year old girl and all of those things. That's all a little bit brushed over as it always has been, but, um, and it shouldn't be, I'm, I'm saying, but uh, once you step away from some of those issues, it's beautifully put together. It looks amazing. The costumes are fabulous. It's a great plane watch. And um, I can see why it was so successful. I think I think if, if you've never read anything about Elvis, you might learn something. If you are like me, an Elvis aficionado, you'll learn nothing, but it, it's nice to immerse yourself in. So, you know. I'm banging on for that reason. It's 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 worth it. Don't I don't know. I, I always get a bit worried about biopics. I always think they're gonna be and not worth it. I feel like this is really good actually. Mm. And I, I, I do feel like um uh the guy who plays Elvis and Austin, Austin Butler. Butler does a really good job. So um Tom Hanks, weird, but you know, it's a weird role. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's a what do we call this? A it's a late bang. It's kind of a catch up bang. Catch up bang. I should have watched it at the movies, but I watched it on the plane. It was good. Well, that's good. I'll watch the other two and a half hours of it on my flight easy, this weekend. Easy done. <laughs> Thank you for the reminder, actually. Yeah, you better go and do bloody Eurovision. Thanks for getting up nice and early. And do what I have to do today. Babes, chookers for this weekend and for the next few days. I know how hectic it is. Thank you for checking in. Always good to see your beautiful you. face. You. And um, I'll see you in a couple of weeks back well, in Australia. Good luck in the UK as well. Love you. Thanks, babes. Love you too. Bye. Bang on. Subscribe now. Head to the Double J website, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. The internet used to sound like this. But now it sounds more like this. A day in the life of a Gen Z bimbo. God is trending. Aww. Only sleep with one person? That's so, like, retro. Like, good for you. And honestly, we have a lot of questions. We used to anyway, but then we found answers and made a podcast out of them. A podcast called Schmeitgeist. Every week, we decode the biggest or weirdest trends in pop and internet culture. You'll meet self-professed bimbo feminists devotees of cool Catholicism and find out why everyone is suddenly allergic to monogamy and obsessed with horror. You can subscribe to Schmeitgeist on the ABC Listen app and follow me down a new rabbit hole every Wednesday. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.